This morning, I want us to consider God in the history of the United States. Sadly, right now, we're going through a time when we are revising history by the day. We are being told that America is bad and that our whole foundation is based on bad and that really, no matter what we do, it will take forever to us to make atonement for what has been bad in the past. And what today, I want us to look at the scriptures and I want us to remember God in history. You can't look at history without remembering God in that. And we're in troublous times as a nation right now. We are, dis we are distracted from what has brought blessing on our nation. We've come to think about speaking of God in public and acknowledging him as the author of liberty that is somehow destructive to our nation. Liberty and freedom originate in God. And when you remove God from liberty and freedom, you end up losing the thing that you enjoy so much. Before we look at the scriptures this morning, I want us to remember our American heritage because what I'm hearing is skewed right now. The French sociologist Alexis de Tocqueville when he was visiting the United States in 1831, he came to study the prison system here in America. He traveled all along the coast, traveling from Georgia all the way up to um, the New England states. And he made an observation about America that he was not expecting. The Methodist Review, it was in 1908, copy of their paper that went out, they quoted Alexis de Tocqueville as saying that he had searched in vain for the sources of America's distinction, and he had searched in vain until he entered the church. He says, it was there, as I listened to the soul-equalizing and soul-elevating principles of the gospel of Christ, as they fell from Sabbath to Sabbath upon the masses of the people, that I learned why America is great and free and why France is a slave. America was free because of the gospel of Christ. Abraham Lincoln lived in times when the nation was pulled apart by slavery. So at the end of the Civil War, 1865, during President Lincoln's second inaugural address, when, in his words, one-eighth of the whole population were colored slaves, he included these words, neither the North or the South anticipated that the cause of the conflict might cease with or even before the conflict itself should cease. Each looked for an easier triumph and the result less fundamental and astounding. Both read the same Bible and pray, both read the same Bible and pray to the same God, and each invokes his aid against the other. It may seem strange to any men should, that any men should dare to ask a just God's assistance in wringing their bread from the sweat of other men's faces. 
but let us judge not that we be not judged. The prayers of both could not be answered. That of neither has been answered fully. The Almighty has his own purposes. And then he quotes from Matthew. Woe unto the world because of offenses, for it must needs be that offenses come, but woe to that man by whom the offense cometh. If we shall suppose that American slavery is one of those offenses which, in the providence of God, must needs come, but which, having continued through his appointed time, he now wills to remove, and that he gives to both North and South this terrible war as the woe due to those by whom the offense came. Shall we discern therein any departure from those divine attributes which the believers in a living God always ascribe to him? Fondly do we hope, fervently do we pray, that this mighty scourge of war may speedily pass away. Yet, if God wills that it continue until all the wealth piled by the, by the bondman's 250 years of unrequited toil shall be sunk, and until every drop of blood drawn with the lash shall be paid by another drawn with the sword. As was said 3,000 years ago, so still it must be said today, the judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. With malice toward none, with charity for all, with firmness in the right as God gives us to see the right, let us strive on to finish the work we are in, to bind up the nation's wounds, to care for him who shall have borne the battle and for his widow and his orphan, to do all which may achieve and cherish a just and a lasting peace among ourselves. I want you to notice that Lincoln did not address political parties and blame other people. He addressed right and wrong. He did not assume that the nation should just get better without recognizing that God directs nations and nations are blessed by their actions as a people. He recognized that the nation may justly deserve to lose its wealth that was made on the backs of others. Lincoln appealed to the righteousness, justice, and authority of God over this nation. Lest we think that President, President Lincoln's thoughts are unique in our history, I want us to consider the first five presidents of the United States. And I want us to consider what's been happening. The violence that we see, the outburst that we see of people hurting other people is sourced in the fact that they think there is no God who will do right. When they recognize and when we remember that God is in control, that God is sovereign, and God is holy. He cannot overlook sin. He cannot endure sin. It must be judged. Listen then to George Washington. On April 16, 1789, two days after receiving official notification of his election, George Washington, standing in front of 10,000 spectators, took the oath of office standing on the second balcony of Federal Hall. 
With Vice President John Adams standing beside him, Washington repeated the words prompted by Chancellor Robert Livingston. He then kissed the Bible and then went to the Senate chamber to deliver his inaugural address. Washington symbolically demonstrated his love and allegiance to the scriptures. And then in the address, he said this, and I was amazed at how articulate and at the level of reading you have to do to even listen to George Washington's speech. It's not dumbed down, Pablum. It is very articulate. But this is what he said. The magnitude and difficulty of the trust to which the voice of my countrymen called me could not but overwhelm with despondence one who inheriting inferior endowments from nature and unpracticed in the duties of civil administration ought to be peculiarly conscious of his own deficiencies. Now Washington's talking about himself. He says, when I realize I've been elected and I realize the trust that's been put in me and I realize how people were dubious about a man leading because remember they had just left a king and they didn't want a king. Washington goes on, such being the impressions under which I have repaired to this present station, it would be peculiarly improper to omit in this first official act my fervent supplications to that almighty being who rules over the universe, who presides in the councils of nations, and whose providential aids can supply every human defect that his benediction may consecrate to the liberties and happiness of the people of the United States. A government instituted by themselves for these essential purposes, in tendering this homage to the great author of every public and private good, I assure myself that it expresses your sentiments not less than my own, nor those of my fellow citizens at large less than either. No people can abound to knowledge and adore the invisible hand which conducts the affairs of men more than the people of the United States. Every step by which they have advanced to the character of an independent nation seems to have been distinguished by some token of providential agency. Then when the inauguration was over, Washington led a procession up Broadway Street. Now remember, his inauguration was in New York, not in Washington, D.C., because it didn't exist yet. Washington led a procession up Broadway with a group of legislators and local political leaders to pray at St. Paul's Chapel. In his address, President Adams reminded Americans to keep a right attitude about themselves as they considered their education, their politics, their differences, with the conclusion by asking God, who is supreme over all, the patron of order, the fountain of justice, the protector in all ages of the world of virtuous liberty, continue his blessing upon this nation and its government and give it to all and give it all give it to all success and duration consistent with the ends of his providence. 
You see what he was praying for? He was saying, may we never forget that what we have is because of God and we trust God to give us what we should have. Thomas Jefferson reminded the people in his inaugural address that authority does not rest in one man, but in the people, and then concluded by asking God, which rules the destinies of the universe, that he would lead our counsels to what is best and give them a favorable issue for your peace and prosperity. And then our fifth president, James Monroe, spoke of the importance of the citizens and the elected officials learned principles. And that had the U.S. not had the God-focused principles, it would have been a different country and could not have survived. The survival of America was always based and sourced in our relationship to God. The principles of justice, righteousness, mercy, and truth are what secure liberty. It is remembering that God is sovereign and that we must all face him. So he concludes by saying, while then the constituent body retains its present sound and healthy state, everything will be safe. They will choose competent and faithful representatives for every department. It is only when the people become ignorant and corrupt, when they degenerate into a populace, that they are incapable of exercising the sovereignty. He goes on to say, I enter on the trust to which I have been called by the suffrages of my fellow citizens with my fervent prayers to the Almighty that he will be graciously pleased to continue to us that protection which he has already so conspicuously displayed in our favor. What have I wanted you to see this morning is the fact that America's history, America's foundation, that which made America great was based not in the state house, but in the church house. It is not about the political parties it's about the populace, it's about the people of America. The safety and security of American streets and society is not found in coercive force, but is found in church force. You see, what keeps us from not having to have a police state is that we all recognize there is a God with whom we have to do. And when we recognize that and we remind people that, look, you may be able to do something to me, but God sees everything. When we cease to teach our children that, when we've pulled that from our educational institutions, we no longer have a populace that knows how to vote. We're voting selfishly rather than voting based on what God Almighty would have us to do. We're living in a time right now that is new to us. Many in our society are angry at and blame each other for the wrong in our country. We have forgotten that liberty is not the freedom to act as we please. We have forgotten our history and may well repeat that history of division and hatred if we don't stop and consider our nation from the church house. We need to remember that those who have gone before us and specifically what they did to heal the nation. 
while Zach and I were walking in Shields on Friday, I overheard a dad say to his eight-year-old or maybe a 10-year-old daughter, as they stepped onto the escalator, he said to her, are you sure you don't want to go over to the gun section and buy a gun today? You know, there's nothing more patriotic or American than buying a gun. Obviously, the girl had heard that before. He had his Second Amendment hat on, and we, we found it amusing. But is that the answer to bringing America back? What made us Americans? What can we do? What should we do? What kind of citizenship should we model? You see, today, I wanted you to see our history. I wanted you to see what God did and why we have been blessed. But I also want you to remember today what you can do. And that it's important that we don't think of ourselves as Christians and we forget the impact that we as Christians have on our nation. We want to look to leaders to fix our problem, yet President Monroe reminded us that only when citizens know the foundational principles that freedoms through elected government can exist. We need to remember that our heritage began with the individuals, not the government. This week, as I've studied the history of nations in the scriptures, what the Bible says about the rise and fall of the ones that we study history of civilization in college, but they forget to tell us what the Bible says about the rise and fall of those nations. We dare not enter our public debate without remembering what the presidents have all known. We are dependent upon God. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. Every nation's going to have a God. The question is, who will be our God? If you'll study the scriptures that address the nations, time at a time the scriptures reveal that God intervened. God set up leaders and rulers and God judged the nations, overthrowing or even destroying nations. And the scriptures tell us, it pulls back the curtain and said, look at God's fingerprints. Solomon understood this when he wrote, Righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. We have exalted freedom to do as we want and think that equates with America. We are abusing freedom and liberty and think that we're doing a service to our country when in fact our, our nation will not stand because sin is a reproach to any people. We can't just look at our nation and say, well, that's just the way it is. It is the way it is, but it is the way it is because we, the people, are not doing what we should be doing. We aren't living the way we should be living. We allowed things in the past to go on that should have never gone on. We blame others. But let us remember that blessings ride not on a political party, but on, but on personal political worldviews. Righteousness. Our condition is not blamed on a party, but on us as a people. You know, in the, seven, in the 800s and then the 700s BC, false worship became the norm in our society, in, in that society. Infant sacrifice was taking place. 
That doesn't sound that unusual for us today. Trying to take advantage of one's neighbor. That's not that unusual for today. The justice system, the justice system was up for bribe and the priests were out for hire. Religious worship was external. So this morning as we study a passage of God's word from the book of Micah, Micah was one of several preachers who warned the people not to trust in politics but return to God. Micah taught during the 700s B.C. along with Hosea, Amos, and Isaiah. God used these men, specifically Micah, to bring about a major reformation, a time that delayed the judgment of God, and that same thing can take place today. Even in dark times, you can make a difference in the lives of others. Micah was a man who spoke the truth of God with the love of God for the glory of God. That's what we need in our country today. If you turn to the book of Micah, Micah, and we're going to be looking at chapter 6, but let me just give you a brief review so that you're thinking of how Micah taught. Micah reminded them that God will not tolerate, cannot tolerate wickedness even among his special people. Now remember today, America is not Israel. America hasn't taken the place of Israel. The church has not taken the place of Israel. Israel is always Israel. The church is something unique that God has made. In chapters 1 and 2, the people spent their nights planning how to do wrong and then got up and worked out the plan that they had been planning. The wealthy stole not because they needed anything, but because they desired to steal. Widows were evicted from their houses. Children were sold into slavery. They had great material wealth as they built the civilization on the backs of other people. Children were sold into slavery. They had great material wealth. Yet chapter 3 ends with this statement. Because of your wickedness, God's blessing is removed and trouble is coming. We know this became called the Babylonian captivity. It began in 586 B.C. But the lessons we learn from studying nations in history tell us what we can expect today. Do we believe that God today overlooks sin? That God blesses sin? Do we not believe today that blessed is any nation whose God is the Lord? You see, there is hope in the future. Chapters 3 and 5, God promises to send a deliverer, and there is a coming deliverance, and ultimately the, the ultimate deliverer is the Messiah. In chapters 6 and 7, then Micah teaches this. He says, trust the Lord now. Even though you have failed and had a wrong perspective, even though the consequences are hard, remember God is merciful. If you'd look with me in chapter 7, verse 7, we read, Therefore I will look unto the Lord. I will wait for the God of my salvation. My God will hear me. And then verse 18, 
Who is like unto thee that pardoneth? Who is a God like unto thee that pardoneth iniquity and passeth by the transgressions of the remnant of his heritage? He retaineth not his anger forever because he delighteth in mercy. It causes us to ask this question this morning How should we live? How can we help our nation? How can we be good citizens? Could I use a phrase that's been used quite a bit over the last four years? How can we make America great again? And I have the answer. Focus on God. You see, this is not about political party. We live in a free country where you're free to vote, and I encourage you, get out and vote. Vote based on what you believe. It may not be based on a party, and the parties may change. We vote based on what we know to be true, and the truth is God establishes nations, and God tears down nations. God can bring judgment. God can wipe out a wealth instantly that has been gained wrongfully. Don't you find it fascinating that in the course of about three weeks, billions and billions of assets of the United States disappeared? Wealth that had been gained on the backs of other people, wealth that had been taken by abusing others or by tricking or misusing people, and what happened? It's gone. We didn't have someone invade our country. We didn't have any major glitch take place. God, in a moment, humbled America. So how can we be good citizens today? Let's look in chapter 6 at very familiar verses. So how do we have a right relationship with the Lord? Wherewith shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before the, mo the high God? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves of a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams or with ten thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgressions, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? And Micah says, he has shown you, O oh man, what is good. What's the right thing to do? And what doth the Lord require of thee but to do justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with thy God? Let's just look at these briefly as we conclude. To do justly. You see, it begins with an action, to control yourself in a manner that's proper, to choose to be on the side of right, choose how you will live. This is not just the thought of what is right, but choosing to live in that way. Choose to do right first, right above financial success, right above popularity, right above personal indulgence. You see, there are things that should never be accepted in our society because it's bad for the society. It's wickedness. And just because you want to do it doesn't mean you should do it or can do it without consequence. 
do justly. Second of all, love mercy. This is a wonderful picture of our God. That he was concerned for our welfare. It's a steadfast kindness is what this mercy is. This would impact how we treat others who are persecuted. Sadly, right now, we have not chosen to protect our citizens from those who would choose to enter our country illegally. We have an obligation out of concern for others, not what is easiest for us to protect our nation. But we've also chosen not to accept those who need mercy. You see, this is not a political one side or the other. The problem is we've chosen not to do right and we've chosen not to love mercy. There are people from all over the world who are being persecuted who ought to come here and we have no way to get them in here. Where will that lead us? It will lead us to a selfish, self-centered populace who will then treat each other in that same way. But... We have also, some are saying, let's just let people in and we've chosen to put our population at danger. We need to have a right way. We need to do right and we need to love mercy. Which is what the United States has done for years, although not much in my lifetime. You see... When you love mercy, you begin to count on those people who love mercy to reach out. People around the world ought to be able to count on America to reach out and love mercy. Notice the difference that he says here. He says, do, mercy, do justice and love mercy, not love justice and do mercy. Doing just is an action. Loving mercy is an attitude. Go through your life doing the right thing and looking for ways to love mercy. You're going to find people all around you who are doing the wrong thing. You need to love right and you need to speak the truth and you need to be merciful so that they too can come to right. But what's the last thing he tells us? He says, do right, do justice. Love being merciful. Look for ways to be merciful. But the last thing he tells us is, walk humbly with your God. To have a right opinion about yourself before God. See, we've been trying to undo this. Satan has been trying to undo this. What do we know about God? He is our creator. He is almighty. You notice some of the descriptions that the presidents used of who God was. That invisible hand that was always active in our society. The almighty creator, the one who gives us our rights. You see, the whole point was they understood who God was. And they walked humbly with God and they said, God, without your help, we will not survive. Without the knowledge of your word, we won't even know who to elect. You see, God tells us that we are all sinners. We've gone against what God has commanded. You can't do justly and love mercy without God. 
God is just and merciful. When we recognize who God is as creator, as sustainer, as redeemer, we submit to his sovereignty. And that's what, that's what America needs. But it's interesting. God allows us the freedom to choose. Now you're understanding even how we should be acting in our country. People are free to choose. But sadly, we have now said they're also free to choose the results of their choices. And that's not true. Wrong always brings suffering to somebody. Someone has to pay. If we tolerate wrong, the people that do wrong will not pay, but those who don't do wrong will pay because someone has to pay. Sin always has a consequence. You see, we allow freedom to choose, but we don't remove the consequences. We don't indulge wickedness. God is the center of liberty. I found this interesting. In a book published in 1835 by Andrew Reed and James Matheson, these were two British ministers who visited sister churches in the United States in 1834 to promote peace and friendship. And then they wrote about their travels. And this was their synopsis. America will be great if America is good. If not, her greatness will vanish away like a morning cloud. It's from their book, Narrative on the Visit to the American Churches. I want to challenge you this morning. Be a model citizen. I found it fascinating. President Reagan spoke of America being a city that is set on a hill. You recognize where that text comes from, don't you? From Matthew chapter 5. When Jesus said, you are the light of the world, a city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. God has blessed us with the privilege of representing who he is. America today is is decaying because we have forgotten the foundation upon which we were built. But it's easy to point a finger at an object, at a nation. But what makes a nation are its citizens, its church houses. The more the church houses, the less police force we will need. The more we remove church, the more we remove scriptures, the more police force it will take, and they will not be successful. Be a citizen that teaches others how to bring blessing on those around them. Being that citizen is found in your daily relationships to God through the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me ask you a question this morning. What kind of country do you want for our families, for our neighbors? Americans' hope is not found in the election that is coming. I don't know who will be elected. I do know that America can change, not because of who's in the White House, but because of who's in the church house. America's hope is not found in a politician. America's hope is found in citizens who take their responsibility to God seriously. 
We have ceased to even think that church is important. This whole thing of the spring as I read what pastors are talking about and I read the fears. Some have said, if we don't do something soon, people won't go back to church. And I disagree with that. Those who don't want to go back to church don't understand the scriptures. It was a club rather than it being worship to Almighty God. When we focus on what we should be, when we learn truth, rather than depending on someone else to know it for us, when we live our lives by doing justly, personally, loving mercy with our fellow man and remembering that God is the one who sets up nations, not political parties, only then can we see our nation change. Where does that start for us? The same place it started for Israel. When we sin, if my people, which are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked way. God says, I will hear and I will heal. A change in attitude, a change in speech, a change in focus, and a change in action. Remember these basics. Do justly. Go out and do right. Every time. When you fail, confess it and do right. Do justly. Love mercy. How can we show mercy to people around us? Walk humbly with God. Prayer, dependence on God should be the starting point. Right now, the Republican Party is concerned in Illinois that they can't have these large rallies. If they can't have the large rallies, then the Democrats are going to win the day. Could I submit to you, all people need to do is begin praying, and we could see elections totally changed? I don't know who God has to be next, but I do know what God wants us to do next. God wants us to walk humbly with him. God wants us to do right. God wants us to love mercy. You can make a difference. You can change our society and you can change our nation. Make your life a pattern of genuine godliness. Justice, mercy, and humility. That's why we celebrate the Lord's Supper together. It reminds us of the awfulness of sin. It reminds us that Satan doesn't win. It reminds us we have a home in heaven. It reminds us, be a light until Jesus comes. Let's pray.